Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Today we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 6, question 18, and we'll go on to question 19. And our text is found in Job chapter 9 and verse 33, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 to 6. So Job chapter 9 and verse 33 says, Neither is there any days man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 to 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. In question 18, our catechist asks us, But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? The answer we must give is our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. In our last few studies in the catechism, we have learnt that there is something we need to escape from, It's the eternal consequences of our sin. And that's a serious matter, for we must all one day stand before God and be judged for our works. And we cannot escape by pleading our own merits or the merits of any other man. Thankfully, God himself has prepared for us a means of escape. We heard it called a great salvation. That salvation is by substitution. Christ died on the cross for us, taking all our sin and imputing to us his righteousness, so that when we stand before God, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What a great salvation! Now, because only Jesus can bridge the gap between God and sinners, only he can be our mediator. So today we're going to discover what that means. And we're going to find out whereabouts in the Bible we can find out about his mediatorial work. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper River Meta Podcast. Let's begin with the Catechist in question 18 and ask the question, who is our mediator? So what does our text tell us about our mediator? Let's look first of all at the contrast. There is God and there is man. And there is a huge difference between a sinful man and a holy God. 
such a gulf that we would never be able to represent ourselves before his throne. Under the law, we are already condemned and our mouths are shut. When I was a teenager, I bought a book in the Christian bookshop in Bangor. It was written by G. Campbell Morgan and it was called The Answers of Jesus to Job. Here's one of the questions in that book. It's Job 9 and 32 to 34. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on his bo- on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. I'm sure you know the story of Job. He was a man who lived by God's grace. He was just and faithful before the Lord. But one day Satan appeared before God and he sought permission to put temptation in Job's way. Just to prove that if everything he has is taken away from him, how he would turn his back on God and would curse him to his very face. Just as many others do today. So Job was led very low. Everything in this world that he valued was taken from him. Job was devastated and he was visited by three friends, his so-called comforters, some comfort they were. Basically they blamed Job himself for his terrible misfortune. In chapter 8, one of his so-called comforters, a man called Bildad, has just argued quite correctly that God must be just. And then he asks the question, how can a man be just with God? Job 8, verse 1 to 6. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rise himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. He's not talking about how a man can be justified before God. Rather, he's asking a kind of a legal question. How can a man represent his case before God? How could a sinful human like Job ever stand before God and plead his case? How could he prove that he was innocent of charges? He couldn't. Job's understanding of this great contrast between a holy God and a sinful man is found then in chapter 9, where he says, in reply to Bildad, there is no mediator, no arbiter, no one who can stand between God and me, no one who can help me before the throne. There is no one who can lay his hand on us both. Job was looking for something called a days man, an advocate. That's what a mediator is. There's a dispute that simply cannot be reconciled. And the parties disagree. And someone is needed to lay his hand on them both, to bring both parties together. But there is an answer to Job's great dilemma. And that answer is Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, we read these words. For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
our catechist, asking the question, who is that mediator, who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man, tells us it is our Lord Jesus Christ who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Look at the way Jesus is described in this verse. It's an absolutely perfect summary of the gospel. He is the man. He is the anointed one. He is the saviour. He is able to stand in the great gap because he is fully man and fully God. He is able to lay his hand on us both, as Job looked for. One who is the perfect representative of God and the perfect representative of man. He is one of us. He is a brother, yet he is sinless, perfectly fulfilling the law which we have broken, thus making his sacrifice for our sins acceptable unto God. Jesus is our mediator. And yet in our passage in 1 Timothy, we read that he gave himself for us. It was at the cross where he died to save us to be our representative, to carry away all of our sins. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We see here the Christ of the cross. And look at the completeness of his sacrifice. Writing to Timothy, Paul says that he gave himself a ransom for all. Let's see how that mediatorship affects us, how it works. He saves us and his salvation is complete. His salvation is sufficient and it's effective. He saves us at the cross as we've seen. Our mediator represented us as he hung on that cruel cross. Hebrews 9 and verse 15. For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the eternal, the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He represented us at Calvary. And he represents us before the throne of grace. If you like courtroom dramas and novels, if you like Rumpole of the Bailey or John Grisham, you'll know the importance of the advocate, the barrister, the lawyer standing before the judge and pleading on behalf of the defendant. First John 2 and verse 1. My little children, I am writing to these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The only one who can plead for us before his heavenly Father. At the cross he represented us. 
At the throne he represents us, and at the last judgment he will represent us. This work of the mediator continues. He will plead our case before God on the day of judgment. So Christ's mediatorial work is a complete work. It's a past, present and future work. Some might ask, but aren't there other mediators? What about, for example, the Virgin Mary? Isn't she a mediator too? Well, there are some who would think so and would like you to think so. And so they pray to her and they ask her to intervene between them and God. But the Bible clearly teaches us that there is only one mediator and that one is Jesus. When Peter was preaching to the Jews in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he said there is salvation in no one else. For there is none other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is because of Christ the Mediator that we are able to stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. His mediation is the only way to be saved. How do we know about all of this saving mediatorial work of Christ? The Catechist asks in question 19, from where do you know this? And the answer is from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later, he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Do you have a Bible which has some of the writing in red? That's called a red letter edition. Nowadays, we have what seems to be red letter Christians. And there's so many examples of that. People who will tell you that the words of Jesus, written in red in some Bibles, are more important than all the rest of the Bible. At a church one time, a woman once said, I know that St. Paul said that, and she was referring there to a sermon I'd preached the previous Lord's Day. But after all, she continued, we don't have to believe everything that Paul said, sure we don't. Well, yes, actually we do. A woman in a Christian bookshop once told me that she was convinced that only the words of Jesus really mattered. Now what shocked me about that statement was that she was actually the manager of the bookshop. As Christians, we ought to believe that every single verse of the Bible is equally inspired. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 16 to 17 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be found competent, equipped for every good work. So where is the gospel to be found? Isn't it interesting that when Peter teaches the gospel in Acts, in Acts chapter 4, he chooses a text in the Old Testament. 
The gospel of salvation in Christ is that continuous thread that runs seamlessly throughout the Bible. So our catechist tells us that this message was proclaimed first of all in the Garden of Eden. It's there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first message that God would send a mediator, the offspring of a woman, who would bruise the head of Satan. The Catechist goes on to talk about in the patriarchal narratives. In Genesis 49 and verse 10, for example, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In the law, for example, John chapter 5 and verse 46, If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Those are the words of Jesus explaining that the Old Testament is all about him. In the rituals and ceremonies of Israel, all the ancient rituals and sacrifices, all the narrative about the construction of the tent of meeting, all of those pointed to Jesus. They were all types and shadows of what was to come, of Christ and of his great salvation. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 to 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In the prophets, in Isaiah, which we've already seen, but many other examples. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And the Lord Jesus himself in John 5 and verse 39 says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In the apostolic teaching, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet thus? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The whole of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is about Christ. The whole of the Bible is inspired, and we call this the plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. The whole Bible tells the Gospel story. All of it points us to our only Redeemer and Mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ.
So let's recap. What have we learned in this lesson? We've learned that the longed-for mediator of the Old Testament, the one who could bridge the gap between God and man, has come. For God sent his own Son into this world to reconcile us back to himself. And we've learned that all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation are about Christ, and they point us to him so that he would be clearly seen and that we would trust fully in him and him alone. So thanks for listening to our Catechism class, and I'll see you next time.